Well, this morning we have uh, all of our campuses joining us. We have our East Lincoln campus, our Statesville campus joining in live for the message today. So would you join me in just saying welcome to our broader Grace Covenant family? Can we do that this morning? Great to have you connecting in with us today. Well, I want to begin with a story of, of a happening. Um, about a couple of weeks ago, I was with a group of folks, and we went rafting, whitewater rafting, up in the mountains of North Carolina, uh, actually Tennessee, just over the North Carolina line on the Ocoee River. I had a wonderful day with great adventure. And then as we finished, we decided we were going to have dinner before we headed back home to North Carolina. So we stopped off at a little Mexican restaurant that had been highly recommended to us to enjoy a wonderful meal. And the food was great. But there was an event that happened that was a bit shocking. And rather than trying to tell you the event, I want to show you what happened in this little restaurant. You notice I wasn't laughing. I was like, what in the heck is going on? Like this lady, she had no idea who I was. I was like, this is abuse. This is like out of control. Like somebody do something. And I'd already told her that I was going to take the ticket. So I was paying for the bill. And so that means what the tips connected to that. And she's still doing that. Yeah, I love that. Funny yet humiliating experience. I want to talk with you about how I feel about what's been happening in our community, in our nation, and even in our church. You know, today we're experiencing some difficult realities. I mean, we have the crisis of COVID 19, which is a real issue. It's a real issue that's created all kinds of pressure and stress and difficulty and and adversity. We, we have the reality of the injustice of racism that was revealed once again in the horrible tragedy and the death of George Floyd. That unjust murder brought protest and tension that's drawn attention to a real problem that we, that we must confront. The problem of systemic racism that's, that's not just in the community, but it's in the church. Then on top of all of that, we have the tensions and strife beginning to surface as we are in an election year. As I've watched some of the early campaign 
advertisements, as I've listened to individuals' conversations, I think we have another potential situation before us that could be very divisive. Now, all of these are real issues. They're, they're issues that we can't ignore. I mean, it's what we're living in. It's what we're living through. And it's these issues that have stressed us and pressed us and uh, surfaced a lot of different opinions, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different ideas. And it's these issues that have brought frustration and created some heated points of conversation. It's these issues that have even created strife and division not just in the community, but in the church. In the midst of these realities, I've been wondering, kind of like what happened there in the restaurant, I've been wondering, what in the world is happening? Like This thing seems to be like out of control. Like there's the strife, and there's the chaos, and there's the confusion, and and there's the bickering, and there's the division, and there's there's the dissension. As I've spent um, actually a lot of time in prayer, about this, about God, what's happening? God, what are you up to? What's playing? How should, how should I respond to the present realities? How should we as a church, how should the body of Christ be responding to these present realities? And I can't tell you that he's given me the answer for COVID-19. I can't tell you he's given me the answer for the issue of racism or even the, the potential of the political tensions that's going to be playing out over the next couple of months. But what did happen is I believe the Holy Spirit gave me an insight. I believe the Holy Spirit gave me a word of revelation concerning a point of warning. And that's why we have all the campuses on live this morning. Because it was a, it was a pertinent word in time and in season that I felt we needed to bring to the whole Grace Covenant family. And as I interacted with the campus pastors, they felt um, that way as well, that this is something we should all share together. And so what I want to talk with you about today is what I... What I believe the Lord shared with me, what the Holy Spirit's revealed to me, that we need to be alerted to and aware of. And this is what I believe. I believe that, that Satan is at work taking the present challenges and using them in such of a way to bring strife, chaos, and division in the church, even, even in Grace Covenant Church. Now, again, these are real issues. These are real issues that we're navigating, and I'm not making light of the issues because they're real. They're, they're creating tension and pressure in our lives, in our families. They stir deep concern within us, but they have the potential to be divisive. And then I, I believe that there's nothing more that Satan would want to do than to take our present struggles, our present realities, and somehow leverage them, use them in such a way that he would divide the church. Because hear me, but a divided church becomes a defeated church. Say it again. I'm going to say it throughout the message. A divided church becomes what? A defeated church. Defeated in the very mission that, that, that God's called us to. That's why the Apostle Paul would write these words to the church at Corinth that was struggling with issues that related division, to division. That's why he wrote the, the letter we have to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 reads like this. I appeal to you, brothers... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there would be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. I believe that Paul wrote these words because he understood the danger of division. He understood that a church is that becomes divided is a church that's defeated. A church that's divided cannot be effective in the mission and the mission that we've been called to. The mission of representing Jesus to our community and to the world. 
Now, a great illustration of the danger of division is the Liberty Bell that's, the, that's displayed in Philadelphia. How many of you have seen the Liberty Bell? Have you been to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, to see the Liberty Bell? It's, it's on display. Interesting, if you go back in history and you do a little study about the Liberty Bell, it was actually created to be a point of unifying. It was, it was, the unity bell was established to call the community together to be unified in celebration and to receive significant messages. That was the purpose of the Liberty Bell. Matter of fact, July the 8th, 1776, it was a Liberty Bell that rung out through, through the city calling people together for the first reading of the Declaration of Independence. The uniting of a nation. The ringing of the bell. Well, one of the things they've noticed at that time in relation to the Liberty Bell is it had some hairline cracks that they were concerned about that they tried to address, but they they were not able to resolve the issue. In the year 1846, in honor of George Washington, the bell rang out for several hours celebrating the birthday of, of George Washington. And it was on that day, in the midst of hours of the ringing of the bell, that the hairline cracks actually became a gaping division. And we see, if we can get that picture back up of the Liberty Bell. Can we go back one? You see the crack here that goes up the side of the Liberty Bell. Interesting today, the bell is no longer ringable. Why? Because it's been divided. There's a crack. Now it only stands for what used to be. Used to be. Call, it used to be used to call people what to unity, to celebration. And today, because it's cracked, today, because it's divided, it's simply set on display for individuals to come and look at. Again, no longer ringable. This is what I believe this bell tells us, because I think this is a great word picture. This is like a living illustration of the potential danger that's before the body of Christ today, and more specific, Grace Covenant Church. If we're not careful... The enemy will bring his strategy using the present reality of the times that we're in and what we're facing to bring division that leaves us so cracked, so divided that we're no longer ringable. Does that make sense? That we're no longer effective. What a divided church becomes again a, a defeated church. No longer then are we effective to our mission. What's our mission? Our mission is to live out the love of Jesus in our community. Our mission is to be about that of God's redeeming work and God's restorative work right here in our community. And if we're not careful, we, 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 we allow these issues. And again, the issues are real. But we allow the issues to bring such division. Why? Because it's a strategy of hell that's playing out. That's what I'm convinced of. A strategy of hell that keeps us from from being effective to the mission that God's called us to. That's why we we must commit to work for unity. And what we must clearly understand is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're citizens of God's kingdom. We're temporarily living here while we're representing a kingdom that's eternal. We're temporary here. We're representing a kingdom, what? That's, that's eternal. See, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we belong to another realm. Our allegiance is to another, to another order. No matter where we live, no matter where we work, no matter where we travel, we are citizens of God's kingdom. 
There's a story that's told about a, a gentleman who needed to get his a, a shoe repaired, and so he wanted to take it to the shoe repairman. He was running late. It kind of got pressed to the end of his day. He, drive, he arrives in the parking lot where the, the shoe repair shop is at, and he notices parking lots like empty. No, There's no cars. And he's afraid that he's already missed his opportunity. The only opportunity he was going to have that week to get his shoe to the shoe repairman he thought, by chance, he's still open. So he gets out, he, he runs up to the shop, and he finds that the door's unlocked. So he walks into the shoe repair shop, and there he sees the shoe repairman. He says, wow, I'm so glad you're still here. I'm running late. I know it's 5 o'clock. And the shoe repairman actually says, well, I was just getting ready to go home. So you made it just in time. And the gentleman recalling the empty parking lot said, well, I noticed that there's no cars in the parking lot. Like, how are you? How are you going to get home? And the shoe repairman said, uh, see that set of steps over there? That, that stairway actually takes me up to my home. He says, I work here, but I live there. Think about that. I work here, but I live there. That's a statement that's true for every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20 says this, that our citizenship is in heaven. Listen, we are spiritual beings that's having a temporary physical experience. As followers of Jesus Christ, what our allegiance is to another kingdom. What our identity, our identity is in Jesus Christ. We work here, but we live there. And the kingdom of this world would would want us to forget where our home is and lead us to believe that where we work is also where we live. But as members of the body of Christ, listen, we get our instructions, we get our directions from another realm, from another king who's, who's heading up another king. And as in the case in every kingdom, listen, the king rules. And we're so used to a democracy, a, 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 a democracy form of government. But in a monarchy, well, it's the king, and it's the king who has the last word. It's the king who rules, and so it is in God's kingdom. And what well, we are citizens of his kingdom. So, so what, do, what does that mean? It means this. Listen, we're not American Christians. We're Christians who happen to be Americans. Are you tracking with me? Listen, I am not a white Christian. I am a Christian who happens to be, by God's design, white. And if your skin color happens to be a little darker than mine this morning, maybe brown or black, listen, you're not a black Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be black by the wonder of God's design. Amen? Listen, if you're here this morning, you are not a Republican Christian. You're not a Democrat Christian. You're a Christian who happens to identify with a political platform. But don't allow the political party to identify who you are. You are first and foremost a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're citizens of his kingdom. That is a critical, that's a critical principle for us to understand as we're navigating these, these difficult, tenuous days. So citizens of God's kingdom, what's their goal? What's our goal? I have it there in your notes. Dr. Tony Evans says it so well, so I just let him say it. The goal of the church should be to glorify God by reflecting the values of God among the people of God through letting the truth of God be the standard in how we operate. Can I get an amen on that? 
It's the truth of God that directs how we operate. So we, so we don't look to our culture or, or we don't look to the ways of the world as to how we should operate and function, nor, nor should we look to the ways of, of how other people are operating or get caught up in that or get, or get caught up in the division that's presently happening. Again, our allegiance is to God and to His kingdom. However, I believe, you don't have to believe what I believe, but I believe that there's presently a strategy of hell being played out to take us away from the very mission that God's called us to. To bring segregation, to bring separation, to bring division in the body of Christ. And I believe that it's the plot of hell. I believe it's the strategy of our adversary. Matter of fact, First Peter chapter five, verse eight, from the Living Bible. I wanted to pull it from the Living Bible because I think it's interesting how it's stated in the Living Bible. It reads like this on the screen. So, would you read this with me this morning? Be careful. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion. Notice, looking for some victims to tear apart. To tear apart. To divide. To separate. Now notice, Peter's saying here, be careful. Be aware. Be alert. Look out. Why? We have an adversary that does, what's he want to do? He wants to devour. He wants to, he wants to tear apart. I believe that one of the key strategies of Satan is to devour and destroy. One of, one, excuse me, one of his key strategies is to devour and destroy, and he does that through division. That results in strife and chaos and animosity. I mean, think about it. Think about what happens when Satan is effective in carrying out this strategy bringing division specifically within the body of Christ. But we're no longer unified. We're no longer in unity. Hey, it's division. Division keeps us from the benefit and blessing of unity. Your unity can be defined in its simplest of terms as oneness of purpose. It's a working together in harmony toward a common goal. Listen, it's unity that God calls us to. It's unity that he blesses. Matter of fact, I want you to listen Now, Psalm 133 reads, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together, when we live together in unity. Verse 2 goes on to talk about how it's it's like oil that's poured upon Aaron's head that runs down on his beard, on down onto his robe. Verse 3 goes on to talk about how God blesses unity, and it's even there that we find this life forevermore. There's three things that we can pick out of pick up out of Psalm 133. The first is is that God says it's good that we would be united. He says it's honoring when, when we are working together. Secondly, we discover that that the oil the oil that Scripture speaks of pouring down on Aaron's head down over his spirit, I believe is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. When we are unified, listen, it's then that the Holy Spirit can work. When we are unified, it's then that the Holy Spirit is poured out. Interesting. If you look to Acts chapter two, the Scripture says Acts chapter two says when the hundred and twenty were together in the upper room, they were what in one accord. They were in unity. What happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out. When we're unified, there's the outflow of the working of the Holy Spirit. 
Not only that, Scripture goes on to say, verse 3 says that where, where there's unity, it's there that we find God's blessing. How many of you want some of God's blessing? Listen, I'm always up for God. If he's given out blessing and favor, I, I'm going to be there. Where does it happen? When we're unified, the blessing of unity. So division keeps us from the benefit of, of blessing and unity. Not only that, division keeps us fighting among, amongst ourselves. Rather than seeing Satan as the enemy, we make our brothers and sisters in Christ the enemy. And, and if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in fighting amongst ourselves that we're no longer focused on loving God and serving others. Why? Because we're just squabbling among ourselves. So this is what Satan knows. When we're one, we'll overcome. When we're not, we'll be overrun. Say it again. When we're one, we'll overcome. But when we're not, we'll be overrun. We'll be defeated. Why? Because we're so divided. Here's a third danger of division. Division limits the movement and work of God. Listen, what we know is that God is omnipotent. And that word simply means God is all potential. God is all powerful. Now, about Luke one thirty seven says that all things are possible with God. So God is omnipotent. However, when, when we are divided amongst ourselves, this is what happens. We actually limit and restrict God's work in our lives and God's work in the church. Do you think possibly that Satan would want to bring division in the church? Why? Because we limit that of God's work in and through our lives and in and through the body of Christ. A disunity or an existence of separatism is essentially at its core self-defeating and self-limiting because it reduces the movement of God and it reduces the blessing of God. Division limits the very thing we desperately need, which is God's favor, God's blessing, and God's work. You know, Jesus, Jesus himself in Matthew 12, 25 says this, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Basically, Jesus was saying, united we stand and divided we fall. United we're a force. Divided we're easily defeated. That's why, that's why I believe we must wise up and wake up to the strategy of Satan playing out in the church today that's seeking to bring division through these present issues. Because again, folks, these present issues are not going to go away tomorrow. I wish we could like make COVID-19 go away tomorrow, but I don't think it's going to happen. I wish we could resolve the issue of racism today so it wouldn't be a problem tomorrow. I don't think it's going to happen. Political tension's playing out. We, we we can't escape those. But what we must be committed to doing is working for unity based on the truth of God's word. You know, there's a lot of opinions, a lot of perspectives, but it's the authority of God's word that must guide us. And when when it comes to these issues, there's so many perspectives, so many so many opinions. But what we must always do is come back to the authority of God's word. And. And it's the authority of God's word that should direct how we relate, how we interact, how we're doing life. Dr. Tony Evans, again, he makes this statement. I love his statement. He says, there's two answers to every question, God's answer and everyone else's. And when, they're, and when they contradict each other, everyone else is wrong. In other words, God is the authority. His word is the authority. 
Again, the reality is we, we can't solve all of these issues that stirring confusion, chaos, and bringing division. But what we can do is control ourselves. What we can do is see the strategy of Satan playing out and choose not to be deceived. Choose not to be like a pawn that he's using to play out in the division. What we can do is choose to work for unity rather than being a participant in the division. So how do we, how do we navigate? How do we navigate these contentious times? What does God's word say? How does God's word direct us? Because again, we want to come back to the authority of God's word. How does God's word direct us? to interact in these contentious times. I want to leave you really quick with four statements. The first is this. Our love for one another must be greater than our love to be right. Our love for one another. You know, the the consistent command, the consistent directive throughout Scripture is love one another. Throughout the New Testament, you read the New Testament from, from Matthew to Revelation, the New Covenant, again and again and again, we find this directive, this statement, one, love one another. Now, this is how Jesus said it in John chapter 13, verse 34 and, and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. How many of you understand the phrase love one another? Not difficult to understand, is it? A little harder to live out. Well, we all understand. Well, Jesus said, here's the command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, I, I, I don't get to choose. Well, you know, Miguel, I, I, I don't know if I like Miguel. I, I love everyone else, but not, not my brother Miguel. He's, he kind of grates me a bit. See, we, we think we have this option. We get to pick and choose. Well, you know, I, I get along with these folks. We're kind of like the same personality type. We kind of like the same restaurant, same fun. I, I kind of like them. But yeah, there's some other folks. I, I don't know. From what I understand, what Jesus said, it's, it's like this is not an option. There's this word here. It's pretty direct. You must love one another. Jesus goes on to say, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And what's interesting, then Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, goes on to define or describe what love looks like or how love acts. I think most of you are familiar with that passage of Scripture, but let me just read a few verses to remind you what love looks like because we, Jesus said, what we must love one another, right? Are you with me? Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you must love one another. What Jesus said. Now, what pastor, what Jesus said. So what does that love look like? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. As followers of Jesus Christ, it's this kind of love that that we... That we're called to live out, that, that should direct, that should guide our actions, our interactions, and our conversations. See, when our love to be right is greater than our love for one another, 
that's when we attack others. That's when we belittle others. That's when we try to shame others, when our love for being right is greater than our love for one another. So when you're engaged in a possibly contentious conversation, I would encourage you to ask this question. Is this loving? Am I being motivated by love? Or or before you make that social media post, ask yourself, is this about loving others or is this about winning? Sometimes I think we get the two confused and we're more concerned about winning than we are loving. And at that point, if we're not careful, we become a pawn in Satan's hand playing a part of potential division. See, we want everything we say and everything we do to be motivated by love. Here's a second directive. Our commitment to God's kingdom and the principles of his kingdom must be greater, must be greater than our commitment to any other agenda. As I said earlier, our identity is in Jesus Christ. We are first followers of Jesus Christ and our allegiance must be to God's kingdom. Listen, you can't say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and then go do whatever you want. Like there's a disconnect there. Now, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, then what? We're committed. We're committed to him and to his agenda. You know, there's a lot of agendas playing out in our culture today. There's, there's political agendas where political parties are trying to gain your allegiance. There's, there's individuals who, who are operating and carrying out agendas of power plays, and they're trying to get you to believe that they have the corner on truth. Listen, a lot of agendas playing out in our culture today. In, in the midst of, of all the chaos and confusion, we must always come back, what? To the truth of God's word. But our, our commitment must first be to God's kingdom and his agenda, not the agenda that our culture is promoting. Or maybe a political party is, is promoting. In James chapter 4, verse 4, kind of one of these verses of scripture that's a bit in your face. But listen to what James wrote. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So when you say, I'm going to pursue an agenda that's opposite of God's agenda, that's opposite of his word, at that point, you've put yourself in conflict with God, with God's kingdom and God's word. That's what basically what James is saying here is that you, is that you cannot have divided devotion. You must be committed. To first and foremost, God's agenda. And the present issues, whatever they would be, listen, it's okay to have convictions. It's okay to have perspectives. It's okay to have opinions. We just want to make sure they line up with what God's word says. So again, we, ha- we must come back to that is their authority. That's what we anchor ourselves to. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, our commitment to God's agenda and, and the agenda of God's kingdom must be greater than other agendas playing out in our culture today. Here's a third directive. Our attitude must be humility that considers the interests of others rather than pride that's self-seeking. 
In other words, we should be others-focused, not self-focused. Others-focused. Our lives should be what? Guided by humility, following the very example of Jesus Christ. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Listen as I read this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And when we operate out of humility, then this is what happens. We value others. We respect others. We can learn from others. We can gain understanding from others. We can have difficult conversations with others and yet still be united. Why? There's a presence of humility. Humility that enables us to engage in the difficult conversations without being divided by those conversations. To engage difficult issues without being divided by the issues. I think of a present illustration of this. I have several pastor friends who happen to align themselves with the Baptist denomination. Good friends. Good friends that I interact with have lunch with, do ministry with. And because they align themselves with the Baptist denomination as it relates to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we would have some pretty differing theologies as it relates to, again, the third person of the Trinity. However, because there's a presence of humility and I have great respect for them and they have great respect for me, we can have differences in our theology yet be united in partnership in ministry. In other words, our differences don't have to divide us. Why? Because it's a presence of humility. And out of that humility, there's honor and respect and value. So in this area that we've given freedom to say, hey, we're not going to allow this to be an issue that divides us and keeps us from kingdom effectiveness. And that's what happens when you have a presence of humility. So it's not pride that's driving, it's not self-seeking that's driving. No, it's humility that's considering the interests of others. And when you bring humility into these difficult conversations, then hear me, it guards, it guards you from the enemy seizing an opportunity to bring division in the body of Christ. Well, because we're operating out of humility, considering the interests of others. Here's a final directive. Our focus should be to work for peace while standing on the truth of God's word. What we're working, we're working for peace. We're working for unity. There's numerous scriptures that speak of this. But I want to take you to two. The first is in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Notice how the scripture reads. If it, says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Notice. Paul doesn't say as far as it depends on others. How many of you know you can't control others? But who can you control? Most of the time you can control yourself. I mean, let's be honest. Most of the time you can control yourself. You absolutely can't control others. But you can control you. Notice if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Not just the folks we like, not just the folks we can get along with. And notice this word, everyone. 
That includes all ethnicities. That, reclu- that includes all political parties. But we're trying to work for peace with, with everyone. Then in Romans 14, 19, says, Let us then therefore, notice this, make every effort. In other words, work at it. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. To peace in building, building others up. Listen, Scripture is clear that we're called to be those who stand for and work for peace. Now, let's be honest in this this morning. Like, I, I don't know why I say that. We should be honest in church, right? As we engage in some of these difficult conversations, political tensions, COVID conversations, let me just pull one of the COVID conversations. Do I wear a mask or do I not wear a mask? I'm telling you, my email, my inbox has been worn out by Grace Covenant folks about the mask issue. Do I wear a mask or not wear a mask? Race issues. These are difficult conversations. So we're going to have, we're going to have some challenges having those conversations. There's going to be a little iron sharpening. I mean, you know, when iron sharpens iron, there's friction. So when we engage in these difficult conversations, especially if someone's bringing truth to your worldview, your perspective, that, that's not completely aligned with truth, what does that do? It creates an uncomfortable conversation, a difficult conversation. So I'm not saying these issues are easy to talk about. I'm not saying it's not going to create some some tension, some iron sharpening iron, some friction. But even in that, even in that, we are called to work for peace. Make every effort. Let me give you an illustration of that. If you were to have asked me eight weeks ago, Pastor, are you a racist? I would have said, no. My goodness, no. I mean, my wife and I, we, we adopted a, our son's biracial. We have another young man of color living in our home right now. I would say, man, look, look at all the proof. Oh, absolutely not. I'm not racist. But in the recent tensions that's been playing out with the issue of racism, I've had some good friends of color who've been kind enough to sit down with me and talk with me and to bring understanding. And what I came to discover is because of my worldview, because of how I was raised, because of the environment and culture I was raised in, that I had ways of thinking and seeing. I had a set of lenses that I was seeing the world through that was distorted. And what did they do? They brought truth to confront my distorted worldview. Was it a difficult conversation? Yes, it was. Was I uncomfortable? Yes, I was. Was I at times defensive of my position? Yes, I was. But praise God, they didn't stop loving me. They kept talking with me. In the presence of humility, we were able to have difficult conversations. And I would say today that there's growth and understanding that's happened in my life as I've had to confront some things in my life that I didn't even know was there. Well, because I had a distorted, 
I had a distorted outlook. I didn't intentionally get there. It's, it's not part of how I grew up. But until someone brought truth and confronted that, and as they confronted I had to call it what it was. Again, was it difficult? Yes. Was the conversation hard? Yes. So I'm not saying there's not difficult conversations. I'm not saying there's not going to be tension. But this is what I am saying. This is what God's Word says. We must be those who work for peace. To work for peace. In the midst of air diversity, in the midst of the tension of, of working through these, these present issues. If not... The enemy uses that in a way that divides us. Because again, I believe that in this present day, there's a strategy of hell playing out in the church. Where the enemy wants to so divide us that we're not effective in our mission. To so divide us that we're not living out the love of Christ in our community. As I said earlier, a church that's divided is a church that's defeated. Listen, if we're going to dynamically represent God's kingdom, then we must stand together, we must work together, and we must worship together in the midst of our God-given diversity. There's a lot of diversity in the room today. We don't have to give up our diversity. But in the midst of our diversity and the wonder of God's creation, we are directed, we are commanded to be those who work toward unity. So when there's issues that could potentially be devices, what well, we have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our actions, our interactions, and our conversations that could potentially be divisive, that could put us in a place where we're attacking others. Hear me, friend. You can attack the problem without attacking the person. You can attack the issue without attacking the individual. So don't, don't play into Satan's strategy. That's the whole purpose for the message today. Just to alert you, listen, there is spiritual conflict happening. There's spiritual warfare happening. Don't be a pawn in Satan's power play. Don't be deceived to be a part of, of the division that could play out. Listen, we can have a little iron sharpening iron without, without allowing Satan to stir chaos, confusion, and strife and bring division. So what do we need to do? I believe we need to wake up, wise up, and be alert. Just be cautious, be aware. I mean, going back to 1 Peter 5, 8, that's, what's, that's how Peter begins that verse. Be self-controlled and alert. Be careful. Be aware. See, a church united becomes a force. That's why Jesus in John 17, just before going to the cross, you know what Jesus prayed for? I mean, read John 17, the focus of his prayer. I'm not going to take time to read that. But read that prayer. The focus of his prayer was unity. God, may they be one. Speaking of them, may they be one even as you and I are one. When the church is united, we become a force. Why do we become a force? It's there that God pours out his spirit. It's there that God brings his blessing. It's there that God brings... Not only is blessing, but even life forevermore. Where? In the place of unity. Do you think Satan would want to come and stir up and divide the body of Christ? That we would become like the Liberty Bell. That we would be so divided that we would become unringable. You think that might be a strategy of hell? I think so. So what? We just need to be aware. Alert. 
guard ourselves, to guard our hearts, to wake up, to wise up. But this time I want to pass it back to the campus pastors, to our congregations in East Lincoln and Statesville. Can we just thank them for joining us today? Thank you so much. As we conclude today, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to tell you what we're going to pray about before I pray about it. First thing is this. Is there a place that you need to repent? Where you've been a part of division. Where you've been, where you've played into that. And let's just be honest. If there is, then let's repent. I know when my friends came and sat with me and, and we had difficult conversations and my eyes were open about some things in my own life. What did I, I repented. No, don't try to hide it. Let's just repent. Let's, let's embrace God's mercy and grace this morning. So if you've been a part of, of conversations about these present issues that's been divisive, that's been more about you winning, that's been more about you being right than loving others, then let's just repent this morning. Call it what it is. It's wrong. Let's get right. The second thing I want to pray about this morning is that we would be that we would have the help of the Holy Spirit to have discernment into the times and seasons. That we would have discernment to see the strategy of hell. That we would have discernment to see how maybe conversations or interactions or postings or engagements are being used by the enemy. And that we would have discernment to step back from that. Not be a part, not, not to allow Satan to, to work in us to bring division. But that the Holy Spirit would help us work toward unity. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you today for the wonder of your grace, the wonder of your mercy. I thank you today. Oh, that through your grace, Lord, we, we've been forgiven. Lord, we, we've been established as citizens of your kingdom. Lord, what I know is we work here, but we live there. We're just passing through. We're a part of a kingdom that's greater than any other kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we thank you for your grace that's made that possible. And Lord, this morning we just humble ourselves before you and we ask Holy Spirit, shine the light in our own lives. Holy Spirit, convict us, show us this morning if there's any way or any place that we've been a part of divisive conversation, that we've been a part, Lord, in the, in the reality of these real issues that's created stress and pressure, where we've allowed the enemy to use us. We've been more concerned about winning than loving. Where we've acted in pride rather than acting in humility. But we just own that this morning. We say, Lord, Forgive us. Forgive us, I pray. And secondly, Holy Spirit, I pray not only for those here, those watching online, but Lord, I pray first and foremost in my own life, Holy Spirit, help us to see, help us to discern the very strategies of hell being played out. Again, these are real issues. They're they're. They're stressing us. They're pressing us. They're stirring within us. Holy Spirit, help us to discern the times and the seasons. Help us to respond rightly. Help us be those who work for peace in the midst of all that's playing out in our broken world today. Lord, 
May those in our community see a church united, living out the love of Christ in real, practical ways where they experience you. But in that, they would come to embrace you as Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, help us stand for peace and to work for unity. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.